So here's the question. What does God want? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, because what does God want? And, and I think it's this question that we perhaps all ask about ourselves. Sometime in our spiritual journey, in a, a moment of, of perplexity in our life or a moment of confusion, then, you know, what does God really want? And, and so to be more specific, I, I begin to think, well, we've asked, well, what does God want my time? Is that what God wants of me? And, and does God want my resources? And, you know, when we say resources in church, it's just a real polite way of saying money, right? Because you can't say money, so we say resources. And, and so does God want my resources? And maybe does God want me to end a relationship that I'm in? Or does God want me to start a behavior or are in the behavior. Is there some kind of behavioral modification that God wants for my life, you know? Or does God want me to be a missionary? You say, Mark, if it's this kind of service about that, then peace out, I'm gone because I'm not here to get. No, no, that's not what this is about. And I think sometimes in this search to answer this question, what does God want for our lives, that I think more accurately to describe that, that for many of us, it's an avoidance of what we already know God wants within our lives. You know, God says, hey, be obedient in this area of your life. And you say, well, wait a minute, Lord, let me pray about that. And God is already speaking to you. But sometimes with this question, man, we can be confused. We really can, because there's a lot of voices that speak into our lives. Maybe you've watched some, a sermon online, you've listened to a podcast, you've read a blog, and someone tells you something, you know, kind of about what you should be doing in life. And so there's all these competing voices that our life is flooded with obligations and decisions, and the last thing we need in our life is another demand on us. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to that point in life where you say, the last thing I need is for somebody to ask something of me, because I'm just overflowing and overrun with that kind of thing. And so for a moment together, can we take a pause for a moment, and can we just explore this question, God, what do you want of me? Specifically, God, what do you want of me? To take a breath, to kind of maybe turn out all the outside voices in our life and all the competing opinions about what that looks like in our life and say, God, what do you want of me? Yes. And you think, well, Mark, this is going to be one of those, this is your destiny kind of sermon. And I'm going to say, no, no, because it's going to be far more foundational, I believe, than that, a lot less fluffy than that. Because sometimes that subject can be a real fluffy subject for us in Christian. It sure can. But what I love is this, that John the Beloved, because this kind of leads us into our fall and winter series that we start week after next. That is the Gospel of John. As we teach through that over a number of weeks together through the Gospel of John, this leads us into that series because here's John the Beloved. He has this close relationship with Jesus of the 12 original that, yeah, he's probably the closest there is to Christ. And he's so relational in how he writes, even in these letters, he's so powerfully relational that he doesn't leave us hanging or in suspense, but he's straightforward answers that question for you and I. He does. And, and, and I love this because all the things that we've already talked about, about maybe God wants, yes, maybe it's all of them or maybe it's none of them. But he answers this question straightforward for us. So here's four big ideas that we want to talk about this morning. The first is this, that our response to experience the gospel is that what John lays out, it's that it's seen, we testify of it, and we proclaim it. That joy is a gift of God resulting from the knowledge and experience of the life of God that he gives us. That if we're not focused on Christ as the center of our existence, then the edges of our life can become very fuzzy. Yes, are blurred. And what causes us to walk in darkness is not our sin, but the denial of our human condition. We'll explain that in a moment together. 
And so those are for our big ideas that we're going to see through the teaching this morning. So turn to the book of 1 John chapter 1. I start reading in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And, and here, here's what he's saying for a moment, a pause for a point, that I bear witness to what I've seen, but more than that, he said, I've seen this with my own physical eyes. But more than what I have seen, John says, my words are far beyond my humanity. It's about a reality far beyond myself is what he's talking about. He says, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. We testify of it, proclaim it to you, the, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So a couple of thoughts this morning as we work our way through this chapter in the book of First John. What a true experience with God, God, what a true experience with the gospel looks like. Yes. And so we start with this powerful story of the gospel. That's where he begins this truth in our lives. Because John says, hey, it's more than what I've just witnessed. It's more than what I've just seen with our own physical eyes. But I want to talk to you about the meaning and significance of the things that I've seen, he said. Yes. And it starts out with this foundational understanding of what the gospel is to you and I. And he starts out on this journey to answer this question of what God wants of us. He starts out at where every conversation about our spiritual life should always start. And it starts out with the incarnate Christ. That's where it begins. That's where all spiritual conversations in our life have to begin because that's where life begins for you and I. That the life was made manifest, he said. He's talking about Jesus. Is it exactly who he's talking about? That the life of the Father God was manifested, infused into the brokenness of this world that you and I live in through the incarnate Christ. And it fused life to you and I, not just life now within us, because we know we have life and we have it more abundantly now, but it infused eternal life into you. So when we leave this life, that it's not the end, but yet we have eternal life. The life of God is revealed, manifested through flesh and blood. That's why he uses words like, I've seen it and I've touched it. Because it's important that you and I understand the concept of the incarnation this morning. Because that's the foundation of everything. We're not talking about that God sent an angel. No, we're not t- talking that God sent some, some kind of cloud or heavenly form. No, that's not it at all. But it's yet that he uses terms like touch and he uses terms like looked upon. So here is the thought. You've already greeted each other, right? Isn't that true? Yeah, you know each other right now. You're close friends maybe. So could you turn to the person next to you and ask them this question for me? Ask them. And here's the question. Can I touch you? Can you say that to them for a moment? Ask them that, okay? If they say no, then you're, you're done, okay? You're toast, okay? Some of you are saying, this is what I've been waiting for forever. This is God. This is really God because I've been wanting to touch her. Yes, yes. So ask her permission or his permission and then reach over and just touch them on the arm, okay? On the arm, a safe space, on the hand, not on the leg, no other places, okay? Okay, just touch them. Now, you say, Mark, why, why are you asking us to do this? Because this is John's point. This is exactly what John is making a point to you and I. Because anything other than Christ being flesh and blood, anything other than Christ being that like you and I that suffers pain, that feels the hurts of our own lives, anything outside of that is not redemption for you and I. We have to understand that he came as flesh and blood, just like the person next to you feels John could reach out and touch him. It's a powerful thought. It's God wrapped in flesh. Yes, 
And John then, he says, okay, that's where the gospel story begins in our lives. Without understanding that Jesus became flesh and blood, that you can't move on. And we can't answer this question, then what does God really want of us? So he says, here's what the gospel looks like in your life after you understand that Jesus came flesh and blood. He said, first of all, he uses this term that he has seen it. Or or for you and I, that we see it, that we experience it. Listen. The gospel to you and I is more than an emotional moment within our lives. Understand that. It's more than just hearing a sermon and God somehow moving on our heart and you and I becoming emotional about that and we make a response to the things that we've heard. It's an experience that we experience the reality of who Jesus is and the incarnate Christ in our very lives. That is redemption within us through grace and not our efforts. It's something that we experience. Yes. It's more than just words in a prayer. And that's what he means by, I have seen this, I've experienced it. And then he says, I testify to it. The, and, and when I thought about this, how do, you, how do you explain that to this group this morning? And I thought, well, just look around. You behold the results in this room of a broken life. People around you have been broken and are broken this morning. But the amazing thing, because of that redemptive work of Christ, that experience of the gospel within our lives, that we are sitting here. Yes, sinners, but yet we're saved by grace, covered in the perfection of Christ, so that when God sees us, he sees us through the perfection of his Son. And so we testify that God changes lives. He changes lives. My, look around this room. There are people that are sitting here in this room this morning that you thought that you would never see in church, right? You thought, dear goodness, I know their life. I know how they lived. And they're sitting here in church and maybe they're raising hands in worship. They have a Bible or they're on their device, but they're listening and they're growing in Christ and they're walking this dirt path of sanctification. And you, know, you see them and say, man, I know God changes lives. And you know what they're thinking? They're looking at you thinking the very same thing. Is exactly right. Yes, is exactly. So we testify that this changes lives, the gospel. And then he says, not only do you see it and experience it, not only do you testify that it changes lives, but then he says this, that you proclaim it to others. You can have the first two, but if you don't go to number three, then it's not a complete experience in the gospel. I truly believe that, that we see it, we experience it, we testify it, we know it changes, but we must Tell others what Christ has done within our lives. And then walk the dirt path with them. That's it. I think we love one and two, don't we? Yes, I love that. I love that you know that the incarnate Christ came and I've experienced that change within my life. I see that. I I think differently. I'm, I'm approaching life in a different way. It's messy and inconsistent, but yet there's a change in my life. But man, when it comes to number three, to proclaim that to others, you know, I'm gonna let the pastor do that or I'm gonna let somebody else do that or I'm gonna let Travis down here do that or someone else, but that's, no, no. Can I tell you to truly experience the gospel, these are the three elements of a true experience of the gospel in our life this is it that's the way he lays it out it's how it works but then he moves on now he's laid the foundation for us yes but then he moves on to verse three and here's what he said that's which we have that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us i love this because john he is relational absolutely relational that our relationship here in the gospel to the incarnate Christ, that, that of the God-man Jesus, 
is inseparable from our relationship to each other in this room. It is. That's why I'm excited about us teaching through the Gospel of John together. Because it's such a relational approach to the life of Christ. So he goes on to say, And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus. That's the centrality of my relationship with the Father is through the Son Jesus. And the centrality of my relationship with you is through the Son Jesus. That is beautiful. So what that does... That, that just uh, goes far beyond, far beyond anything that you and I have in common in this life. You know, it goes far beyond you and I sharing the same allegiance to a football team. Hey, it is football season. That's exciting, right? Yes, unless your team lost this weekend. It's not so exciting. Yes, but yet it's exciting. So we share these allegiances together. Football, sports, all kinds of things, likes and dislikes. We share all this. But what this does, this simply is an overarching bond that you and I have in our life that we share together in gospel community, and that's the centrality of Christ. And so what that does is this. It makes our relationship go much deeper than just a sports team. Because in reality, how Christ loves me, He loves me in relationships so that When I am unlovable, his love doesn't change. He still loves me. He loves me when I am really a positive guy, and I have those days. And he loves me when I'm the grumpy guy, and I have those grumpy days. And don't look at me like you don't have grumpy days. Some of you are grumpy right now. You really are, yes. And so he loves me all this. And so if if those two, if these relationships, that of mine with Christ and me with you, are inseparable, what does that mean? What that means this. Oh, I love you on the days when you are extremely lovable, and I love you on the days when you are extremely unlovable. Yes. It's the beauty of our relationship. How do you do that? How do you love me when I'm unlovable? Because the centrality, the center of my relationship with you is that of the incarnate Christ. It's the gospel. It is. And so he goes on to say this, and we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. I love this. This text is how we do life. It's, it's really how we do life in the brokenness of our existence. Yes. And our fellowship between you and I is through the Son, Christ. And, and that is that He is the origin and the character of, of true life. That life as we know it today, it's all a gracious gift from God. Everything that you and I understand and experience in this world, it's a gracious gift from this loving and kind and generous and merciful God. And so what this tells me about God's desire and his character and his nature is this, that he's not some angry, old, gray-haired, long beard, sorry for the beard people in the room, okay, so don't take it personal, grumpy old man up there that can never be pleased, but he is simply a God who loves us in such a powerful way that he brings life and he brings healing to our lives. I love that. John says, hey, if you're going to answer the question what does God want of you? Then first you have to start with the gospel and that of the incarnate Christ. Then you have to have this accurate picture of who God is and that God's desire is to bring joy to our lives. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore that simply joy is given and it rests in that of fellowship between God and us and between you and I. It all works together in this 
beautiful form that we call gospel community. That joy is not determined by the elimination of all that opposes me. If my joy depended upon the elimination of all things or those that oppose me, then can I tell you, there would, there would probably be a lot of funerals, would they not? Yes, yes. And some of you are thinking, man, if that was true, here's the hit list for God, you know, kind of deal. You know, God, you just kind of, uh, you kill him and, and get him out of my life. And that's going to really, and he's saying, no, no, the reality, the basis of our joy, the basis of our joy within our life is fellowship with God, but it doesn't stop there. And it's also fellowship with one another. And it's not predicated on externals. It gives us a beautiful picture of who God is. It does. So he says, okay, let's, let's go on. We're building this foundation. We're going to answer this question in just a moment. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. And, and he, so he begins to lay this out for us to answer this question, what does God really want from me? And he says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This gets us closer. What does God really want from me? So I did the spiritual thing about this question. And here's what I did. I Googled it. Yeah, I really did. You know, I said, Lord, I've asked this question, but how many other people are asking this question? Because I really would like to know because it make me to feel better, you know, about myself. I'm not some odd, unique individual. So I Googled, what does God want from me? You know how many results I got? You know, up in the top by your Google search, you can see the number of results. Here's how many results that I got for the question, what does God want from me? Here it is. One billion one hundred million results. So, if you have never asked that question in this room, then you are unique. Absolutely, absolutely, you are, yeah? And, and you probably have a better chance than any of us in this room to win the lottery, so please go buy tickets and then tithe on what you win. Please do that, right? Yes, so here's the thing, 1 billion, 100 million results. What is God's expectations to me? You know, so I begin to think, is it just checking off the list? Is that what it is? Is God some celestial supervisor that somehow he's auditing my performance to make sure that somehow I'm going to be promoted to heaven? And verse 5, as we just read, brings us to a point which simply says to us, it's more than just evaluation. It's more than just in this relationship getting it right or wrong. It's about an understanding for you and I of God's character and nature as it's revealed through the incarnate Christ. Yes. That God brings light. God being light leads us to an understanding. He's the source and the measure of all truth. That nothing is truly understood outside that of the light of God. Psalm 111 says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, is what it says. That God uses light because it promises that the truth of God is a truth full of joy and full of hope for you and I. Because here's what light does. Light helps us to obtain what we want to reach. It does. Darkness, what does darkness do? It keeps us from obtaining what we want to reach. It's full of danger. It's full of unpredictability and all those kinds of light things. But light changes all of that and exposes danger. It opens the way to freedom in our life. God is light and truth. And because of that, with God, there are no hidden agendas. 
There's no hidden agendas with God. How do you know that? It's because what John just said in verse 5, that God is light and him is no darkness at all. What does the word no mean? It means no darkness. It means nothing. There is none. So with God, there are no hidden agendas. So I realize that we're talking to a mixed crowd this morning. That some of you have been in church most of your life. And man, we're glad that you're here. We really are. Yes. And some of you, you just started coming and you're here for a while. And maybe you've just come into a relationship with Christ. Boy, we are super glad that you're here also. But some of you are here and you're also kicking the tires and you're checking this thing out, you know. And, and you're wondering, if, if, I, if I open my mind, if I open my heart to this idea that Jesus was wrapped in flesh, if I open my heart and my mind to this idea of that he forgives my sins or that I can find purpose in life in Christ, then what's the catch? What's the catch? And there's some of you here that are living by the scoreboard. And you think, if I score enough points, then God's going to be happy with me. And everything's going to be wonderful. And then there's going to be a touchdown. And I go to heaven. And everything is beautiful. And I get my mansion. And I walk on the streets of gold. And, and all those kinds of things. So if I, you know, if I open my heart and mind to God, then what's the catch? Because my dad used to say this. <clears throat> Anything that's too good to be true is what? Too good to be true. Can I tell you what that defines? That defines grace, doesn't it? That absolutely defines grace within our lives. There's no hidden agendas with God. Reba and I, when we were in college many, many years ago, you know, that we didn't have a lot of money. We got married in college. And, and so, you know, if you're here and you're a student, and I know a lot of them are gone home this weekend, but if you're here and you're a student this morning and you're thinking about getting married while you're in college, can I tell you lovingly, don't do it, okay? Don't do it, right? Now, if you're in love and you know that's God's will for your life and blah, 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 then you do it, you know, that kind of thing. It's fine, right? Yeah. And if, if it's that thing about marry or burn kind of situation, well, you know, there are other ways... Well, whatever. But we could talk about that, make an appointment, okay? We can talk about that, okay? But here's the thing. Yeah, we got married, and man, we, we were living off love. Truly, we were. I mean, you try to go to the bank and try to deposit love, they reject it every time. I don't know why, but you do. And so we were living off love. We didn't have a lot of money, and so we got this thing in the mail. It was before that of email time, you know, kind of deal. And we got this thing in the mail that you have won a prize. Oh, yes, we have won a prize. I love this. We have won a prize. All you have to do is show up at the redemption center you know so we went to a christian college and anything called redemption center is on maybe this is god's will this has to be god's will and so so we we make an appointment we go to the redemption center and to redeem this thing we got in the mail for a prize and so we're ushered into the back of this building into a room door closed guy sitting across the desk and all of a sudden he starts this spiel about how we can buy one year of cleaning chemicals for our home for one year. Now, they had no idea we were college students. Understand this. We're having trouble buying food, much less things to clean the house with, right? Yes, we are. When we make hamburger helper, we only make helper because we can't afford hamburger, right? So it's, we enjoyed helper is what we did, right? Later on, when we splurged, it was hamburger helper, and that was a big night. That was like a date night kind of deal, right? And so uh, stroganoff was the best. That was what we really liked. That was, our, that was like the jam. And so 
we, we, after a while, after this spill, I just finally just couldn't take it anymore, you know, and I stood up and told him that, that we were just two poor, in-love college students and that we were trying to work our way through school and we didn't have any money, and then he just slammed the gift on the desk, opened the door, and let us go because he knew that he would not sell us anything because we had to even budget gas to get to the redemption center to get the prize, okay? We did. Can I tell you that some of you showed up this morning and you're wondering what's God's agenda you know what's hidden what 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 is God somehow hidden somewhere in this whole production this morning that I don't know about and at some point you know when I open my heart or I become vulnerable to God that Boom, there it's going to be. It's the, it's the office in the back of the building with the door slammed and the sales pitch across the desk and, and to make you buy something that you really don't want to buy. Can I tell you, John makes it very clear that God is light and Him is no darkness at all. That means God has no hidden agendas for you. None. Zero. That when we draw near to Him, there's nothing absolutely hidden in the dark But there is only freedom and hope and joy because John says that he is light. He is light and light dispels the darkness. It brings clarity in those moments of our life when we are absolutely confused about things within our lives. It is C.S. Lewis, have to quote C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis says that we believe that the sun is in the sky. This is from his book, Miracles. We believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in, in summer, not because we can clearly see the sun. In fact, we cannot, but because we can see everything else, he says. That the light of God illuminates truth. It illuminates truth. You say, Mark, you still haven't answered the question. My Lord, you know, can't you get to it? Why you holding this? No, no. I, I have to explain this to you a little bit. And then I think the answer to the question makes a little more sense to you. Light and Darkness. The two entities of life that we live in. Everything around it, oh, it's the vast, broken world that we live in. But in this life, there is only light and darkness in this entity of our, our broken life. In light, oh, that's the light of God. And in, in that light, is, there, is that of, there is hope and, and there is purity and there is confidence and there is, <coughs> excuse me, there is righteousness. And when we walk in that realm we walk in the light of God we do but then there's also darkness and what darkness consists of is it consists of all that is not God it consists of falsehood and impurity and sinfulness and it consists of what the Bible calls the world and that's not a geographical definition but yet much of a spiritual definition but here's the important thing about light and darkness that we have to understand before we can go any further that they have nothing in common understand that that they're incompatible, that there's no overlapping in this understanding of light and darkness. Because, <coughs> excuse me, John says that in him there is what? No darkness at all. No darkness at all. But in the greater spanse of the broken world, these spaces are, are defined for us. They're boundaries. And what do boundaries do for us? They shape our lives. They do. They shape our lives 
that we don't live as we might think sometimes by some arbitrary standard. But whether we're living in light or darkness, there's are boundaries that shape our lives. It, it shapes how we, how we act and it shapes our character, it shapes our nature, it shapes all of those kinds of things within our lives. If it's, a, if it's the light of God, then it shapes us into that, the character of God within our lives. If it's darkness, then there, it's just about of absence and hopelessness and, and without joy and there's no confidence and there's lack of purity. It shapes all those things about what we value and what we love and how we act and how we interact with one another. But then John lays verse 6 on us in 7, and here's what he says. That if we say if we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But then he has a contrast to that. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses from all sin. So what does God want of me? Here's the answer. John gives it to us right up front. God wants me to walk in the light. That's it. God wants me to walk in the light. Mark, I was waiting <coughs> for some, this just elaborate theological decourse, discourse about what you're going to, you know, the answer. No, God wants me to walk in the light. That, that's it. And you say, well, is that all? But can I tell you? But that's where we want to quit sometimes. That's where the rub begins to happen. That's what's the difficulty in our lives. Because if that's really what God wants, then that space of life over here is defined by God's character and nature. The boundaries and the standards are set by God's character and nature. And I can't live like that, you know? I can't live like God. I can't make all the right decisions. I can't be perfect like all of that. And so here's what I want to do. I just, I just, so I become discouraged in trying to fit into the boundaries of that light. And that's the struggle of our life. It's not possible. It's not. Because you don't understand, Mark, you don't understand the thoughts that I've had this morning and all my thoughts are not pure. You have no idea the thoughts that I had on the way to church. They're, they're not. So how can I live in that box of those boundaries of the character and the nature of God? Can I give you a couple of clarifications in that area before we move on? And the first is this, and I, and I understand this, that the center of that space the center of the space defines the boundaries around it. If you take the center out, then there are no boundaries. The center of the space defines the boundaries. And here's what we do in our spiritual walk. We spend most of our journey focused on the edges. We spend most of our journey focused on the standards, the boundaries of our lives. And we never have the moment, we never take that opportunity to keep our eye on the center of what that space is about. Here's the thought. Because when our life is just consistent of, consistent of boundaries, it's consisted of, of standards, consists of standards and all those kinds of things, then our walk with God becomes very cold and becomes very indifferent because it's rules. And when we're not focused on the center of, of that life, of that light, then what happens is this, that the edges become very blurred. Can I tell you who the center of this space is? The center of this space is Christ. It's not our ability to stay in the lines. It's not our strength to simply keep all the rules. It's It's not my goodness, but it's in his goodness alone. Understand that. The struggle of our lives 
is we focus on this. We focus on this thing. This is what I got to stay in, you know, and we, we kind of walking life like this, right? We, we, we're kind of, oh, I can't move to the left. I can't move to the right. I have to do all the right things. I have to say all the right things. And so my life is about the standard. No, my life is about the center. And when my life is about the center, then God gives me the strength to live in the standard he's given me. And I understand that the standard is always for my good because God is always has my good in his own heart. I stay focused on the sinner. When I stay focused on the sinner, I'm not living my life worried about the standard. I'm not living my life worried about the edges. And some of you think that's God's hidden agenda. That's it. That God just kind of, you know, God wants me in the box. And then God says, okay, by the way, there are edges to this box, right? There, there are standards to this box. And, and don't, don't get out there too far. You've got to be real careful. You've got to live in the middle. And so I got you. God says, I got you right where I want you. Ha, here I am. And so I've got you. Now you've got to simply live in this prison of the standard. And what I believe is this. What I understand James is teaching us is this. The centrality, the center of this light is Christ. Understand it. And when I focus on that, then all of these things around, these things that God says, hey, these are the things you should do and should not do. Here's my commandments. Here's guidance for your life. All of those things I look with as joy because I know that God loves me and God wants the very best for my life. It changes the way I live my life in light. What are you focused on this morning? You focused on the center or are you focused on that of the edges, of the things that you think, oh, these are the rules and these are the regulations. The second thing is this, is, is i got to work through this quickly, is we are to walk in the light, and, and we're, here's the thing, John says, we're to walk in the light, but when you read John in the way he words this, that we're never told in John's words to be the light. I, I read it, I read it over and over and over and over, I don't find that. That we're never told to be the light as God's light, why? Because this is not about my perfection, this is about his perfection. This is about living in the light of his perfection. If my life is always about my performance and making the mark, then I'm attempting to be light myself. And what he says is this, that we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. And that leads me to fellowship with God. That leads me to fellowship with you. And sometimes that's messy and inconsistent in my life as a human. But I do all that through the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me. In light of this, man, I have boundaries. Understand that. I'm not, I'm not preaching this, that, that there are no boundaries in our lives. No, there are boundaries in our lives. Uh, yes, I want boundaries. Boundaries simply make me feel secure. It makes me think that you know, somebody, somebody loves me and they want to give me direction within my life. And there are boundaries there that I live in. But what I realize is that they're through the graciousness and, and through the heart of a loving God who wants to guide me through life. And so in those moments of conflict, in those moments when, man, I'm brushing up against the boundary of, of those things within my life, that I stay focused on the center, and that is Christ. But God, but Mark, you know, here's the thing. I'm I'm human. Yeah, you are. That's true. Somebody has touched you this morning, right? Isn't that true? The person next to you touched me, touched you, you touched them. Well, we're all flesh and blood, and we know that we're absolutely human, so we're going to mess up. And I'm not going to soft sell, you know, sin in our lives, your life or my life. I'm not going to do this. But here's what I want to say to you as I begin to read this and understand this theologically is this, that the darkness 
that John is talking about is not equivalent to just to the sin or me just messing up in life. It's not that at all. That's not what he's just talking about. No. Because it's not a, a verse to exclude us from God. It's not that or place a wall between us and a loving father. That's not what this is about. And we're going to mess up. Last week we said we're all stinkers, remember? Didn't we say that? Yeah. And you look at the person said next to you and said, you're a stinker. And they said, you're a stinker and all that. And now you have this wonderful stinking relationship with each other. And that's a beautiful thing. Yes, it is. But, yeah, that, but, we're, we're, but we're all stinkers. But yet what we know theologically, the definition of what he talks about darkness is that realm that opposes God. That realm that is hostile to God. It's that continued disobedience where God continually speaks to you and draws to you, but you turn this deaf ear to His voice within your life. It's that absence of relationship with God. And I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I understand something about relationships. And just because you and I in our relationship have a disagreement at some time or a falling out in our relationship doesn't mean that our relationship ends. And it's the same thing with God. And we live in fear of that sometimes, I believe, with the Lord because we're, we're very, very much not, not settled in our relationship and who God is and how He loves us. It's the center that defines the space. Not me, not my goodness, not my abilities. And so I focus on the center, not the edges. God helps me to live in the boundaries because they're the things that are good for my life. So we continue reading verse 8. It says this, And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. This is a tough one. And the truth is not in us if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And this is where we end this morning. The greatest deception in life is self-deception. Because we don't know that we're deceived. This is about recognizing the reality of who we are. That, that we sin. Understand that. And that we have a need for Christ and His grace within our lives. That we're living in the boundaries. Yes, and they're messy and they're inconsistent within our lives. They are. But this is about a relationship with the center. This is about a relationship with truth and with light. And when I have a relationship with the center, then the boundaries become a joy for my life. It's an understanding of God and an accurate understanding of ourselves leads to truth. That walking in light leads us to real faith. Not some superficial experience or emotion that doesn't bring real lasting change within our lives. Living in the light creates this atmosphere where we can really do business with God. And for some of us, man, we need to do some business with God. And I know that's church language, and that may not make sense to some of you, but I think in your heart, you know the business that you need to do with the Lord. I think you know that. You see, what places us, what places us in darkness is not our sin but our denial of the fact that you and I are sinful. That's what places us in darkness. If it was every time we messed up and every time we committed a sin that that put us in darkness, then you and I would be in, as we say, we'd be in a heap of trouble, would we not? Yes, we would. But it's the denial of who we are. 
It's the denial of our sinfulness. You can read later on John 8, 31 through 37. It's a conversation that Jesus had with a bunch of Jews about that of being sinful. Because why, why when we are not honest, why does John say that that makes God a liar? Why, why does he say that? Because it takes the work of the cross and it somewhat nullifies the work of the cross and makes it meaningless because we begin to reject the provision that God has simply made for our sins by sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross. It simply, it, it, it rejects all of that because we refuse to see who we really are. It starts with us in understanding who we are. And understanding who God is and how he sees us and how he loves us. Can I read two more scriptures? Can I? Thank you. I appreciate that. First John chapter 2, verse 1. You're always so cooperative. You are. You say, Mark, we don't have a chance. You got the doors locked. We can't leave. Here is the thing. First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if, if we didn't sin, why would he write it this way, right? But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the, and Travis a few weeks ago preached a powerful sermon. I, I encourage you to go online and listen. This is powerful on the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I end with this thought with you this morning. And I think again, listen, don't miss our series going through the Gospel of John, because it gives us an insight into Jesus. It helps us having an understanding of the Father that we've never had before. I believe that. Because what John lays this out here is, is he says, hey, don't draw this conclusion because many people do about God. That this whole scene of being an advocate, we, have this, we draw this conclusion sometimes that we have Jesus who is our attorney in heaven, and he's standing in this courtroom before God. And I've even heard preachers preach this before. And, and, and I've always thought something was kind of skewed or twisted about this. But I couldn't quite, you know, put my finger on exactly what was wrong there. But we have this picture of Jesus who is our attorney. And he's standing in, in this great courtroom of heaven. And up there on the, the judge's chair is gray-haired, long white beard, angry-looking, extremely bored uninterested God the Father. And what Jesus has to do every time you and I mess up is this. He has to go to that angry judge who doesn't want to forgive us, who is just waiting for the opportunity to drop the gavel and send it to you and I to death. And he has to beg for our forgiveness. And that is absolutely untrue. It is untrue. Because John says the character and the nature of God is light, not darkness. That there is no hidden agenda. That for somebody in this room, you need to understand this. God does not hate you. God does not have some kind of axe to grind with you. God does not have 
some kind of hidden agenda to trick you, to get you close to him, so then he can simply drop the gavel and sentence you to a lifetime of hard labor or death. That's not it at all. Because John says, wait a minute, you've got to understand who God is. And to understand who God is, you have to understand through that of the incarnate Christ that he is light, that he loved you and I so much that he gave his only son for us to be light in the darkness of this cold and, and rough world, in this broken world, that he simply said, I'm going to fix this for you and I'm going to send my son. It's his heart. It's his character. It's his nature. Understand that, that he loves us. That he is, Jesus is our advocate, yes. But I do understand that, or what I believe, what I believe is this, that Jesus doesn't go to the, God, go to the Father wondering if we'll be forgiven or not. He already knows that we are forgiven. That work is already complete, already complete. It just reminds us every time that we're forgiven, the character and nature of God, that he is light and in him is no darkness at all. Do you know I usually come to you with <laughs> I I always I have I have like jokes in my head all the time. That's why I laugh sometimes and I haven't said anything, you know, I'm laughing at myself. I come to you on Sunday mornings, I've I've said, you know what? I give too much information, so I gotta kinda back off a little bit, you know, and and so so I've cut down from five pages of notes to three, and I still can't stay in the time. I don't know what it is other than God is so amazing. He is so wonderful. He is so loving that even if I didn't have this this outline today that I could just sit here for 45 minutes and man, I could tell you how he's changed my life and what he's done in me. And I know that I've seen that I've testified of it. And so I had to proclaim it. I have to say, this is God. This is what Jesus has done in my life. And it points me to the character of who God the Father is. He is loving and merciful. Far beyond our ability to understand this morning. So what's your next step? Well, your next step is how you open your heart and mind this morning to those truths. How you dispel some lies that maybe you've been taught in the past. How you view living in the light of God. Or how you feel God drawing you because, you know, the fact is that maybe you are in darkness this morning. Maybe your attitude has been hostile to God. That maybe that you have continually, continually, continually turned a deaf ear to God's voice in your life calling you. That box there never was the intention of God for us to ever, ever, ever be there. Never. From the very beginning, this is God's heart. This is God's desire. So open your hearts and your minds to that truth this morning. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Father, we are thankful for your goodness in our lives. We're thankful, Lord, that, that you have given us your word who, 
so accurately and adequately expresses how much you love us. That, Father, that we come here, as you know, as your creation, and we bring all kinds of baggage and all kinds of stuff and all of our thoughts and all the things that we have maybe been taught over the years. And we bring all that here, Lord. And some of us are really struggling. We're trying to keep the boundaries and we're trying to live in the edge. And so, Lord, bring us to the center this morning. Bring us to a greater understanding of who you are. God, for those that you have by your providence, your loving kindness drawn here this morning. And Lord, they're, they're running from you. God, they're, they're just wondering who you are and what your intentions are for their lives. That Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would come to this realization this morning. That with you there is nothing hidden. That it is all open, God. That you are absolutely upfront with your intentions toward us, and that you are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. So we open our hearts and we open our minds. In your name we pray.